Marini's Media. The Black Friday slash pre-Christmas sales are well underway and from today until Friday the 4th of December, you can get yourself a subscription to The Athletic for £1 a month for an entire calendar year. That means unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts for just £1 per month. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash Golazzo. That's G-O-L-A-Z-Z-O. Oggi vi proponiamo un bel piatto di spalletti. The man who gave modern football the force nine. The man who took Totti from hero to four six zero. The man with a face so sackable, one owner fired him twice in the same season. Luciano Spalletti, this is your golazzo. Bondi, listener, we're back with Golazzo. A small delay there, but here we all are, and by all I mean James Horncastle. Hello, James. Hello. And Gabriele Marcotti, dottore. It's ESPN senior writer Gabriele Marcotti to you. Caramba. Well, ESPN senior writer Gabriele Marcotti, who are we talking about today? Luciano Spalletti, one of the... um one of the people I least understand in the history of Italian football. Um, you could say he's a mystery wrapped in a conundrum. And I suspect in our talk later at some point, I will uh, no doubt bring up Mr. Kurtz. Okay. Because that is <laughs> essentially who he is. Yes. Mm. He's a person who <laughs> traveled to a very, very dark place. Mm. St. Petersburg. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was speaking metaphorically. St. Petersburg is actually a very light place during winter. Very light, during, yeah. During summer, yes, as you know. The white James, nights. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, listener, you may know uh, Luciano Spalletti as the slight bald man that kept turning up in Italian football programs. No, not that one. The other one. Uh, the, the one with the kind of lugubrious and somewhat irritable air of an undertaker who's been asked to stay on late on a Friday afternoon. The man who is, in terms of points per game, Roma's best manager ever, and yet when he enters the Stadio Olimpico, probably going to get a real whistling and booing by their fans. He's also, could you make the case for this, James, the man who's behind one of the most significant coaching spells in Italy, maybe even in Europe, in the last couple of decades? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think after Lippi, Capello, Ancelotti, I mean, Spelletti was working, starting out in coaching at more or less the height of, of, of some of those guys. You look at some of the most influential coaches that have come out of Italy over the last uh, decade, 15 years, and I would put him up there with uh, Conte, Allegri and uh, Maurizio Sarri. I think it's it's those four. And uh, Spalletti in particular, I think, had a kind of disproportional influence really on, on the game, given that he was coaching at Roma um, at the end of the last decade, almost by accident. Um, coming across this this way of playing, uh, you mentioned the the strikerless formation, which he kind of ultimately credits with with you know, having a player like Francesco Totti uh, make it uh, make it what it was, which was very successful, relatively speaking, and you know having an influence on the United team that they played against in the Champions League and how they went up and set up their team to win European Cups, how uh, Pep Guardiola might have looked at it and thought that's the way to play Lionel Messi. Um, and that all came from the mind of, uh, of Mr. Kurtz, as, uh, as, as Gabriele was saying. Mm, all right. Well, it sounds like we're going to have a fascinating journey into that mind. So uh, strap yourselves in. Let's begin with Chapter 1, which I like to call Famous for Being Fired. It's the year 1992. Ho fatto la fila Ho fatto le notti in bianco Yep, summer 1992, and while Enrico Ruggeri is rocking La Classifica with La Band, a wiry defender is entering his final season as a player. Tidying up at the back for the Tuscan side Empoli, it is Luciano Spalletti. Uh, down in the lower reaches of the Italian game, Empoli at this time, in Serie C, despite the fact they had a quite remarkable lineup, 
They had, uh, well, him, but uh, Fabio Galante was with them. Vincenzo Montella was up front. And uh, Francesco Guidlin was the manager. What a remarkable side they had for the third division. Anyway. <laughs> well, uh, Montella at the very beginning of his career, I would I'd say. I mean, Empoli does have this, this tradition of being a place where uh, baby strikers go to become, maybe not men, but uh, certainly it was... Uh, famous for having another striker a few years later who would later work with Spalletti Udinese, which is Toto Di Natale, who I think still lives in Empoli, certainly married his wife. She's from there. So, yeah. Um, try that. Di Francesco, I think, is also, I mean, not a striker, but someone who uh, went to Empoli very young and uh, kind of uh, got his kind of first start in in. Uh, in real football, I'd say that. Mm. They have a historical connection to yeah. Naples and the Neapolitan area, right? So obviously that's where Montella and Di Natale are from. I think Ciccio Tavano as well, who's very successful before becoming very bad um, as a player, obviously not as a person. Um, so that that's kind of been one of the one of the secrets to the youth academy. And they kind of go and scout under Napoli's noses and somehow manage to get these young Neapolitan kids to Tuscany without mm. Napoli realising it. Well, uh, Spalletti himself was a local, uh, a, a Tuscan fellow, who hung up his boots, as I say, that season. The owner, Fabrizio Corsi, who was a year younger than him and was a bit of a pal, uh, offers to make him manager, and it is an inspired choice after a couple of seasons finding his feet. He takes Empoli from Ciuno up to B and then to Serie A with back-to-back promotions. Empoli fans so impressed that they hang banners around his hometown with the legend Saki plus Zeman equals Spalletti. Ooh, praise indeed. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to take it down, but, you know, because, uh, yeah, fellow villagers, you know, his his friends who he used to go and see and have a coffee within the bar had put it up. He, he didn't feel, he didn't, he couldn't bring himself to do it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's quite interesting listening to him talk about um, the influence that those two guys had on him. He was someone who wanted to mark zonally uh, very young. I think the only the only guy who he, he was coached uh, under uh, Jean Pierre Ventura was the only guy who who man marked. A lot of the other guys were influenced by uh, what uh, Saki and Zeman were doing. And then you know, in terms of you look at how Spalletti teams would attack later on, it is very kind of vertical. It is very kind of those. Um, diagonal runs in behind, which are so synonymous with kind of uh, Zeman football. So yeah, I suppose there is some of the concepts of those guys in in the work we'd like to see, yeah, under Spalletti. Mm. Well, in 1998, Sampdoria are impressed enough to hire him. Sparking, Goes well, doesn't it? Well, a couple of years that see him given the sacky rather than compared to him. First at Sampdoria, and then most infamously at Venezia. Let's talk about Samp. He arrives there a year after Sven Juran Eriksson has departed. A bunch of players have gone as well. And he only lasts a couple of months before a 5-2 hammering away at Lazio sees the owner, Enrico Mandovani, decide to make a bold change. That game, that 5-2 hammering at Lazio, features a remarkable performance from a player that Samp had just sold to the Roman club, a James Horncastle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who went back to the capital because a lot of people forget that Sinisa Mihailovic played for Roma as well. Um, but yeah, scores a hat-trick of free kicks in that Incredible. game. Go go check it out. It's uh, a remarkable performance from uh, from Sinisa. Well, as I say, Sam's owner was so enraged that he relieved Spalletti of his duties and recalled former Sam player David Platt, who didn't actually have a uh, coaching licence but uh, was kind of allowed in on a bit of a fudge while... Was Lee Sharp on this team I believe, yes. Yes. I am looking at this. I can provide you startling (laughs) updates on the garbage. And signs Lee Sharp, who's recovering from, I think, a knee operation, (laughs) and enjoys a disastrous six-game run, which sees them pick up only three points and slump from 14th when Spalletti uh, left to uh, the bottom three, at which point... David Platt resigns and Lee Sharp is left on the training ground on his own wondering where, where's everybody gone. I think what's, what's again, I mean, pretty remarkable is I was, I was looking who was on that team because obviously they would be relegated at the end of the season um, under Spalletti. And what I find remarkable isn't just sort of the decline and fall. And yeah, they had, you know, Lee Sharp in there who clearly wasn't fit and he only played three games. But, but this was a team that, you know, they had, remember Burrito, Ariel yeah. Ortega? Um, he was there all season long. You know, Fabio Pecchia 
was there all season long. Um, the artist we know as Vincenzo Montella, who you mentioned earlier, of course, and would, would resurface in Spalletti's life, was there. Um, it's pretty remarkable, I think, that you know this was a really good team on paper, um, and they just didn't they just didn't mesh with uh, with Spalletti and what was going on at the club. Yeah, they were fourteenth when Spalletti left, but then very much in the bottom three. He got them briefly out of it, and then they slumped back in. He picked up twenty one points in the last fifteen games, which he was in in charge of. Not enough uh, to keep them up, and and down they went, undeterred. You, yes, you Gary. know that James. Given that we're talking about Spalletti, mm. we should probably point out what Spalletti would point out if he was here with us, which is that the reason they ultimately were relegated, and yes, I'm looking at Wikipedia here, um, but now it's all coming back to me, was that as magically Italian teams, especially back then, all used to do late in the season when they were fighting relegation, they'd always go on this run, funny enough, taking points from mid-table sides and already relegated teams, and then um, on the second to last day of the season, they're playing against Bologna, who presu- I presume were mid-table and obviously not on message. Yep. Ninth. Um, <laughs> they were ninth. There you go. And they end up drawing <laughs> 2-2. But Bologna got an equalizer in the 94th minute, which uh, whoever scored for Bologna very rudely didn't just boot the ball into the stands, but actually scored. And apparently it was never a penalty. And the referee, Alfredo Trentalange, after retirement, of course later said, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. That wasn't a pen. Right, there you go. Yeah. What, Class Ingerson with the 94th minute uh, penalty there. See, the very see, you knew it was going to be a Scandinavian <laughs> guy, right? A tall, blonde Scandinavian. Yeah, Biscotti. Who doesn't quite get, yeah, he doesn't quite understand the Biscotti. <laughs> right. Well, who knows what would have happened had, had Samp stayed up, he said, relentlessly returning to the subject in hand. <laughs> but... <laughs> Samp go down, and Spalletti moves on undeterred. He now joins Venezia, where Zamperini's Venezia. <laughs> yep, Viagra's Zamperini's Venezia, uh, the greatest mangialanatori of of all of them, perhaps. Where together the pair combined for a quite remarkable record, which I don't think has ever been equaled before or since. Basically, Spalletti's hired in the summer, fired two months later, hired again three games after that, and then fired again two months later. This all happens in the space of about six months, Zamperini explaining Spalletti portava sfiga. He he brings bad luck. He basically (laughs) said he just looks so depressed all the time, he's really bringing the team down, and they're not going to win like this. So uh, absolutely remarkable. I think this was the year also when uh, Venezia lost the blind Venetian, as he was called, Massimo Taibi, which is very harsh. I'm sure Gab would agree uh, to label Taibi that on the back of what one or two performances for, for Manchester United. This was also the season they got, they were relegated, right, Venezia at the end. But what, was that the season? That, that wasn't the, the Recoba to Maniero season. No, was no. no, no. Gans is in this team. And there's also uh, Stefano Betterini, who wow. now is, mm. I think, a regular on uh, on any kind of Big Brother um, in, in in Italy. He was famously it's, married to one of uh, Italy's top kind of football conduttrices in Buonaventura, and, yeah. and then featured heavily in a massive phone tapping scandal in the mid noughties Spalletti, who by now has, has become infamous as a kind of managerial eeyore, this kind of miserable-looking guy who kind of hunched shoulders, who gets continually fired and then returns to get another kicking from whoever owns his club. He <laughs> takes a year off. Which he, he repeatedly does over the course of his career. Which is not a bad thing to do. But this yeah. is the thing. When he comes back, he has a real breakthrough at Udinese. This time, things do work. He gets Udinese all the way into the Champions League. Yeah, gets them into the UEFA Cup as well, back-to-back years before what that final year. They're really building towards something and they finish, uh, finish fourth. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this was the, the years of what? Vincenzo Iacquinta mm. um, up front. Iacquinta. Di Natale. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, Di Natale was, was I think, would, would have his best, play his best football at Udinese under Francesco Guidolin. Um, but, uh, yeah, Jankulovski. Although, I mean, again, just yeah. these... Pizarro. Yeah, well, Peck. Peck, yeah. We'll get to Peck in the Roma spell, but... Um, mm. Yeah, three very successful seasons at Udinese. Absolutely. He wins Panchino d'Oro, the golden bench as manager of the year. This is the guy who just two years before had been fired by Zamperini twice, now hailed as the best in Italy. And it gets, as I say, Udinese into the Champions League and it gets him 
the biggest job of his young career. But, but James, just to throw back quickly, mm. I mean, when he left to take the Roma job, Cesse Cosmi, didn't, it was Cosmi who got the, the Udinese job now. So Cosmi all of a sudden was coaching against Barcelona in the Champions League, which was just, <laughs> just magnificent. Cesse Cosmi who's this incredible gonk-like figure who rose to fame at Perugia. Yeah, Cosmi is basically like a stupid version of Sean Dyche. Except wearing a baseball cap, like, like if, if really Sean Dyche were really, really dumb, he's, he would be said to cause me. No, do you know, he's not. No, 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 no. Can I tell you exactly who he's like? Herc, the detective in The Wire. He's exactly yeah. like Herc. Yes, Co- very stupid and ends up screwing everything up. Is also corrupted on the. Tape I don't think when he goes Cos- to drive for the mayor. That that's a great example. Uh, Cosme also DJs now, you know. He DJs. Cosme, can I tell you, is a great guy. I will. Have, I'm not going to accept any of. Gab's <laughs> he gave things. you his pizza once, right? Jesus, your mind is encyclopedic. It's true, but I just generally think he's a nice guy. Yeah, he comes across as a little bit kind of. Uh, Rurido, great, but, uh, I mean, hmm. no, you're right. He does have a daishi kind of voice and uh, hmm. quite a gravelly kind of voice. I remember um, when he was when he was at Perugia, that's probably his most famous gig, right? Um, Gauchi, I think, uh, got him like a, I don't know, a white truffle or something, or it, right. it was truffle season. And yeah. He got him a truffle that was so big, he put hmm. it in the back of his uh, back of his van or his car or something, and the suspension broke. I mean, it's a massive, tr- it's a massive truffle. And just, just think, be- how, think, how, think how expensive that truffle must have well, been. Right. I mean, that's the largesse of Gaucci there. I'm just picturing Luciano Spalletti listening to this Golazzo all about him and, and just waving his hands in, in classic irate Spalletti fashion. Saying, Why are you talking about Cesare Cosmi? This is my show. So I tell you what, Luciano, we'll move on to chapter two then, your time at Roma. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Summer 2005, mm, good times. And Spalletti finds himself taking over a Roma side that had themselves managed to get through four managers the previous season. This is the way. Uh, Prandelli, uh, Vola, Del Neri and Bruno Conti all combining in the previous Giallorossi season in which they'd ended up losing the Coppa Italia final to Inter. First of four straight seasons, remarkably, that Roma and Inter would face off uh, at the uh, in the Cup final. Anyway... Spalletti's time at Roma, this is the season when the big tactical innovation uh, comes in. It happens in December. Before that, you get the win away at Inter, which is the first time Roma had done that in, in forever. The 3-2 victory at San Siro, which features that infamous uh, Totti chip. But by December, Roma had had a run of four games without a win. They'd gone to Spalletti's old club, Sampdoria, and they were in the middle of an injury crisis, and Cassano was suspended. And who's he going to play up front? And Spalletti decides, hey, nobody. And here we get the 4-6-0. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just Cassano who suspended James. They were without a classic kind of Roma signing of that era, which was Shabani Nonda. Um, he, was, he was hurt too. Montella uh, was uh, was out. So, I mean, all their striker options. I think the only guy that they could go to was a 16-year-old Stefano Okaka. Um, and, yeah, they come up with the, this uh, strikerless system and it works so well that they just don't bother changing it. Mm. And they go, I mean, this is very much uh, Horncastle in Rome at the time when uh, I, had a, I had a season ticket at the Olympico for, what, two years. Oh. And it is, it is the best football I've ever seen. Right. Um, better, better than I mean, in in person, regularly. Um, I remember going to watch a seven nil win against uh, Catania. Dentini dentro la chiusura di Stovini. Totti, mancava solo il gol di Francesco Totti. Sette a zero. 
Francesco Totti. Sorry, sorry. So is that the game where like Dave Catania had two guys sent off before halftime? Ah, come on. Yeah. Up it doesn't matter. It doesn't half. matter. All right. Well, you know they did. But what about Inter when they next played Inter in a cup final? What happened then? Il tiro di Totti, la grande risposta e la rete però di Panucci sulla corta respinta. It was the 6-2 game. I mean, that's the thing. You can easily make the case that they were that Roma were playing the best football in all of Europe after they'd uh, discovered this, this 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 tactical switch. So you were sat there at the Olympico watching it. How did it work, James? Well, I mean, you had uh, Totti was probably the most advanced of uh, the midfield players, if you want to call them that, and he would. Uh, often come short and just play the others into the space behind him. Um, and he was a master at that. Um, and uh, Roma at the time, I mean, this is the thing, like, aside from Totti, um, you know, who else on that team was world-class? You know, I mean, there's De Rossi um, mm-hmm. um, there, but everyone else, I mean, you've got Tonetto, uh, Cassetti. Um, I think at the, the, the beginnings you have, you had what was an absolutely outstanding centre-back partnership, one of the forgotten centre-back partnerships of Kivu and yes. Mexes, which mm-hmm. was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and Peck, David Pizzaro, who was very much the brains that Spalletti had on the on the, on the pitch as well, one of the kind of finest uh, registers, if you want to put it like that, who's still playing for Totti's five-a-side team when he's um, when he's in Rome, uh, eight-a-side team, sorry, um, Alberto Aquilani. I mean, there's an outstanding game at San Siro against Milan where I think Aquilani plays a Rabona pass. Um, to set someone free down the left and it comes in and then Totti volleys it in. I mean, it's just, the football was out of this world. Um, you also had Amantino Mancini, infamous for his step over antics in Lyon in the Champions League, but just a, a blinding player. And uh, Rodrigo Tadei, who, Gabriele, I know you're going to want to mention the Aurelio. Exactly. It is It is the greatest single clip. It's out there on, on YouTube. Doesn't quite work well when you try to explain it, but... It's a move. Try anyway, master of words. ESPN senior football writer. Only you can do it justice. <laughs> I don't think I can. I have shown this to professional. So it's like a. It's like it's like the the flip flap, but it's a Rabona flip flap. Would that be fair? Yeah, except he's totally under control, and you don't understand because the ball goes in one direction and then it quickly comes back, and there's no possible reason. He kind of like violates physics. Um, it's called the Aurelio after Aurelio Andreazzoli, longtime Roma hanger honor. He, he's sort of the Manzini of Roma, except he actually does things. And it, it was it was tremendous. And and the, this is what Spalletti did, and he used the past tense very very well. He was so good at creating mismatches. It, it, when he had players who had certain skill sets, he wouldn't try to fit them in his vision of football, but. He understood that you know he could create these situations because it wasn't a natural. You know, said before about his game being vertical. Your game's not naturally going to be vertical when you have you know Antonio Cassano, when you've got De Rossi and uh, Pizarro in there, or or, or Olivier Dacour, whoever he had in his first season. But he evolved towards this. He said, "I'm going to turn what could be a weakness of my team, or at least not necessarily a positive characteristic. I'm going to turn it into into a positive, and that's going to help me win." We also must mention one of the uh, the great kind of inventions, I suppose. I mean, this is the thing. Spalletti is a very inventive coach. I mean, we talked about Totti's new position. Um, for me, I know Gab wrote a book about Capello's time at Roma, but I think the best Totti is the one that we see under, under Spalletti when all of a sudden this guy who's uh, in his late 20s, early 30s, completely reinvents himself and, and starts scoring a hell of a lot of goals. I mean, becomes the European Golden Shoe winner um, in what 2007, I think, in the year after Luca Toni, um, and uh, despite having a completely different profile to Toni, but the, the player that I was going to mention is Simone Perotta. Perotta mm. was another player who, um, under Spalletti, you know, sort of plays as a 10 without being a 10, um, but as, is this guy who, uh, you know, can get up and down, get into the box, score goals from midfield for the team. Um, and he would do the same with Rajana England when he comes back to, to Roma for his second spell, push that midfielder forward. And uh, 
And then what a time, what a time that was in, in Rome. I mean, it just, again, I mean, it was kind of the tail end of the Sensi era. So on the one hand, they signed Philippe Mexes. There's a kind of FIFA transfer embargo around that signing, so they can't really buy anyone. Sensi's kind of completely spent after basically putting all his money into the Scudetto winning side at the start of the century in 2001. And the money that was invested in Gabriel Batistuta. So you get all these, you went, once the embargo is lifted, you get all these randoms like Ludovic Juli turning up in Rome or, or uh, Christian Wilhelmsen or, as Gab was saying, um, Ciccio Tavano um, coming in and playing. It was, oh, it was, it was brilliant. The, I loved the, it. The, the, he, he was very good at channeling this idea that, you know, as, as, as James said there, the club was going to go way bankrupt. I mean, this, the, the stuff the Sensi family did to pursue the dream and, you know, like, I know I'm going to uh, upset those people who think that, you know, Rosella Sainz is still the queen of Rome. But the reality is, yeah, they, they spent a ton of money, but ultimately most of the money they spent wasn't their money. It was money that they leveraged um, their connections and their importance from banks to and they piled it as debt onto the club. You know, and that's kind of the reality of it. So they were there still kind of shoestringing their way from from one transfer window to the next trying to whatever money could scrape together they gave it to Totti to try to keep him happy and so on uh, you really had this kind of you know end of empire shoestring underdog mentality which which Spalletti reveled in he loved getting these waifs and strays in and trying to see how they would work I mean most of the time when things have gone wrong for Spalletti it's been when he's I think it's been when he's had resources you know that's when he kind of loses his marbles but when you give when you give Spalletti a turd and you say go and polish it, he's very good at that. Hell of a way to talk about <laughs> AS Roma. Towards the end of that run, the, the guy at the heart of it all, Francesco Totti, actually becomes injured ahead of the biggest game of all, the derby. But by now, the Gialarossi are unstoppable. 26th of February, 2006, without their captain, they beat Lazio 2-0 and at the same time set a new Serie A record for most consecutive wins, 11. Totti was on the on the bench that day, I think in some kind of incredible puffer jacket. And this was the time when he would go into the Curva Sud as well, like wearing kind of sort of, almost as the, he was wearing the kind of attire that you'd associate with someone who's going skiing, just like it was just out, it's, it's crazy stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the atmosphere in the city at that time, when, when they were on that winning streak. And yeah, I mean, we, we should mention that this is the time when Calciopoli hits uh, Italy. Um, and uh, Inter basically just decide that they're going to cherry pick the best players from Juventus, um, and they become just insurmountable. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, this this Roma side has a go. Um, and yeah, certainly in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, for an hour on the final day of the season, they're playing in Catania, and they are top of the table um, until Ibrahimovic comes on in the rain in Parma. Well, that's interesting. So that's the second season. You've also got that incredible win in the Coppa Italia, the first leg of a two-legged Coppa Italia against Inter, who every year Roma and Inter would face off in the final. This time around, they had a 6-2 win at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. I don't know if you got along to that one at, at the end of the 06-07 season and, and then beat Inter away at San Siro as well to, to take the cup. But just one of the greatest performances ever. Uh, by the Gialarossi. Of course, alongside things like that and the win over Catania, there were also games like the time they went to Old Trafford. <laughs> oh, please. Not the 7-1. Now Patrice Evra. <laughs> Deflected. But Evra won't care. His first ever goal in Europe just adds to the humiliation for Roma. I was at that game. You were, Gab? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, I said it at the time and, you know, it, it kind of turns into, it turns into a bit of a running joke, right? And as you know, I'm not Spalletti's biggest fan, but I will say this, um, that was not a 7-1 game. That was by no means a 7-1 game. It was a game where every shot that United took on goal seemingly went in and nothing went right for Roma. And not to mention, obviously, Roma had won the first leg 2-1. Like, United were a much better team. You know, United's scores that day were Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Wayne Rooney. And I'm not, not going to say that Roma deserved to go through because obviously, you know, when you go out, eight, lose 8-3 on aggregate, they don't, you, don't, you don't deserve to go through. But 
it was not a 7-1 win for United based on what we saw on the pitch. This was this was a game that was that I think was was quite even for for a long stretch and, and something where everything went right for United and everything went wrong uh, for Roma. And then obviously later, in, you know, at the end, the floodgates opened and and United scored two two late goals. But um, it was much a much closer game than the scoreline suggests. I guess is what I'm driving at. Mm. Although it did show a worrying lack of. Uh... Uh, an ability to adapt from their their manager on the sideline, uh, Spalletti. Second season there, 07-08, sees some much better results in Europe, uh, including home and away 2-1 victories over Real Madrid. But it's the end of the season, James, as you mentioned, when, when Roma almost pull off what surely would have been Spalletti's masterpiece, climbing back from 11 points behind Inter to overtake them on the final day of the season, only to see... Zlatan Ibrahimovic come off the bench to, to to put them back in their box again. For half an hour, or I think even longer, but it's certainly yeah, for an hour, an hour that day. It's, an hour yeah. that day, Spalletti was going to get the Italian title with Roma, with that Roma. Yeah, and also I think this is one of the, the, the I say the seasons, but like one of the moments which Daniel De Rossi looks back on and thinks, wow, that could have been my title. Because obviously De Rossi wasn't in the team when they won the league in 2001. Um, and... You know, it felt that after kind of having uh, the, I don't know, title of um, pretender to the crown thrust upon them in the aftermath of Calciopoli, they then kind of rose to it. And I, I, I think this season in particular is is an example of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ibrahimovic saved Inter and uh, yeah, that was the that was the year when, when Mancini they lose to Liverpool, don't they, in the Champions League? And he comes out afterwards in the heat at the moment and basically says, I quit, even though he's like signed a new contract, which is for <laughs> for a few years. And then uh, and then the next day he's like, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it. And uh, he completely loses the dressing room and into going to a tailspin, which, uh, you know, it wasn't helped by Zlatan being out injured. But, uh, you know, the god that is Zlatan um, comes out in the Eddie Tardini, doesn't he? After again, after after an hour, and managed to win that game on his own for them, and uh, and yeah, breaks Roma's hearts really because that was. That, I mean, there've been a few times over in recent years where they've come they've come close to winning a title. You know, I mean, that year the Ranieri one in two thousand nine ten as well, uh, where they come back from a similar kind of points gap. You know, even under Garcia, you know, even the first season of Rudy Garcia. Um, but yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. This is uh, Luciano will be pointing at us saying, "This is my show. Stop talking about other, <laughs> exactly. other people trying to take my title." Well, he actually gives way to Ranieri, isn't it? In September yeah. two, two games into the oh nine ten season, he actually resigns. Uh, the reasons has he ever made the reasons clear? Certainly, a lot of the players from that team, Julie and Totti, are both talking about the fact that he totally lost the faith of the players. He couldn't make himself understood by us anymore, says Totti. He ended up taking a journalist to, to court, I think, in a defamation case um, for, I think, writing uh, an article about him. And he said, and he, in, in the court, he basically, in his testimony, he's saying, like, you know, from, from that point on, the players were just taking the mick out of him. They were making fun out of him all the time. And that was one of the reasons why he kind of ended up Bringing, uh, bringing the case as well as the, the allegation of defamation. Yeah. So let's not um, repeat that in case he brings us to court too, James. What, what, was, the def- <laughs> what was the accusation though? I can't remember. I, 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 ah, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, the thing is, right, again, context. He lost those first two games of the season and then he walked out. I, I'm just looking at what we said before about how Roma were run on a shoestring and just there was no money and all the what little money that came in went to go and keep the creditors at, at bay. Um, that summer, that was a summer where, you know, they sold Aquilani, who was really their, their only remaining, you know, sellable asset except for except for De Rossi. And I'm sure that he would say, well, yeah, I was promised that. And then I was told that you were going to bring other people in. And I'm looking at this and their incoming market that summer consisted of Bogdan Labonte, no disrespect, you know, Marco Motta, who'd actually done all right at the time, we thought was going to be a decent player, Burdiso on loan, who Inter no longer wanted. You know, that was... El comandante. That was the reality of who came in. And, and here he was, you know, expected to go and to go and compete and whatever. And, you know, he's like, screw this. You know, and remember, 
in the meantime, he'd also spoken to other clubs, including Chelsea, where Roman Abramovich was throwing money around and would end up uh, getting one Carlo Ancelotti uh, instead. So he's, I think it was as simple as he's sitting here and saying, you know what, I'm tired of working for a pittance for this club with no money, where everybody knows, everybody thinks they know more than me. If on top of that, the players are also making fun of me, screw this, you know, I'm out of here. Well, by December that year, he was in Russia with Zenit St. Petersburg, and we'll touch on what happened there and what has happened since in our next bit. Podcast, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. So, Zenit and Petersburg, he wins the title. He has a brilliant first two seasons. He went back to our Premier League's Russian Cup, Russian Super Cup in those first two campaigns. After that, four seasons of pretty much nothing. At which point well, he decides, Gab. So we, we, need to, we need to mention something <laughs> which, is, which is very Spalletti. So first of all, you can go on YouTube and see he's done. He's been doing this all along, right? Sometimes when he doesn't like questions in post game interviews, he goes and <laughs> you know he there's a famous one with some Russian guy where like I don't my Russian isn't very good. I have no idea what the guy is asking him. I have no idea if the translator translates it correctly, and he just goes off on a rant in Italian and then walks away. Perché gli fa piacere così? Per cui io l'ho già detto che a lui non gli sto simpatico e anche oggi l'ha fatto vedere. Not quite Malazani, but uh, we've seen that. But for me, the image is, I think it was, I don't know if it was after he won his first title or his second title. Um, it was away to Ruben Kazan and it was snowing because it's November and it's Russia and they're so happy. And what does he do? He starts stripping. He takes off his jacket, then he takes off his top, then then he takes off his uh, Maglia della Salute undershirt. As uh, uh, You know what that is, James. Um, and he's there shirtless, and he's jumping around, and he's jumping up and down with the players and fans. And, and I, it's funny, when you said before about how depressing he always was, I thought, man, this is the other Spalletti. You know, th- this is where he originally became, Mr. Kurtz. But he... He was into it so much, and to see this, this to see an Italian man shirtless in the in the, in the snow. I don't know if this was before Putin's shirtless uh, shots or after. Who inspired who? But I thought to myself, man, like you have really embraced the whole culture there. This is where you belong at the edges of, of civilization in Saint Petersburg. <laughs> and there's an amazing uh, other example of of, of spillet. Tiesman or whatever you want to call it, um, when they play Milan in the Champions League at San Siro, and I think I think Zenit go there and win, and at the end he takes off uh, Hulki, and uh, Hulki who looks like he is the Incredible Hulk, hence the hence the name, and Hulki is not happy at all about it, and basically Spalletti is 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 fine with kind of saying I'll see you outside, come on then let's 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 do this, and it's like what kind of coach. Would uh, would challenge a player that size, that kind of intimidating physique, um, but of course Spalletti would. You know, it's uh, as as we'll get to. You know, Spalletti's fallouts with star players are an epic kind of theme of his of his career, mm. and none more so than his erstwhile buddy Francesco Tossi. January 2016, he decides to return to Roma, scene of his tactical triumphs, to take over from uh, Rudy Garcia, and again. He manages an improbable second place in this season after what had been a pretty disastrous start. But what he's most remembered for in this campaign is is bringing down the curtain on Totti's career, not in the best of fashions. The pair fall out very publicly. Totti publicly criticises Spalletti because he hasn't been, he feels, playing enough. Uh, Spalletti then drops Totti from Roma's 5-0 win over Palermo, which causes uproar in the city. Uh, Ilari Blasi misses Totti describes Spalletti as a little man. <laughs> and Spalletti, as I think we've detailed on our on our Totti Golazzos, uh, then has to go back, uh, particularly in one game against uh, Torino, to call on Francesco to come and save his neck from the bench, which 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 Totti does to the, the fans' great satisfaction. But the the fallout basically is, is is enough to see Spalletti leave again at the end of that season. As I say, with Roma finishing second in the table. James, how, how do you look back on that, that Minestra Riscaldata? 
Uh, I think they played excellent football again. I mean, when he comes in uh, for Garcia, he has Edin Dzeko who's not scoring any goals and he basically comes up with another kind of strikerless team for six months with um, Mohamed Salah, um, El Shuari and Diego Perotti. And then in his his next full season, um, Dzeko wins Capo Caniniere. Dzeko, Dzeko goes from being Checo, i.e. blind, being Dzeko, um, I thought they played really good football, but he had a tough gig. I mean, the, the, the gig was to phase out Francesco Totti, regardless of whether Luciano Spalletti wanted to do it or not. Yeah, that was very much the brief from on high that we need to move on from from this guy. Um, and, you know, Totti was was unwilling to retire. You know, I mean, he, he didn't want to. And yet, um, you know, Totti discloses it in his book, you know, about coming to London for for a meeting because Roma have offices uh, here in London. And yeah, you know, Franco Baldini, who was um, yeah, didn't have a nominal role for for Roma, but was certainly someone who the owner at the time, James Pelotti, kind of um, took advice from, saying, you know, it was me. You know, I, I wanted, I wanted to to basically move this team on from you. Um, and Spalletti kind of bore the brunt of that. Was the the lightning rod? Although you know, you could say that the way he managed that situation wasn't wasn't great. Had had huge flare ups with Totti. You know, there's that story about him sort of coming. I think in the dressing room and having a go at Totti and saying, you know, you're always up late playing cards with everyone. You're keeping everybody up. I remember that Palermo game when basically he sends Totti home and he's mm. left out of the squad, which was, I think, compared in Gazetta with, you know, like kicking the Pope out of the Vatican. You know, that was, that was very much Spalletti. Spalletti's version of that day is, is typical. There's a famous... Um, he does this post-game show, I think, with with, with Fabio Caressa on, on, on Sky Italia. And, of course, he gets angry. And he says, no, I didn't send him home. It's just he wasn't on the starting 11 and he wasn't on the bench. And I had a meeting and I explained it to him and there were other people there. And he chose to go home um, probably because he didn't want to be humiliated by having to be in the stands when he was fit which I kind of feel like, yeah, it's kind of the equivalent of you sending him home, right? If you don't put him in the match day squad, you're sending him home. But I, the, the one thing which never added, added up to me, and, and I mean, look, James is, is, is a closer Roma watcher than I am, is at the end of the season, which we'll get to, obviously, he'll, he leaves, right? Nine days later, he signs for Roma. Oh, sorry, he signs Inter. for Inter. So if he was going to be the bad guy, he already knew he was leaving. And I always wondered, like, was it the brilliant mind of Franco Baldini? He's like, all right, I'll get this <laughs> dude who is kind of like the designated victim here. I'll get him to take on all the blame. He already knows he's leaving. He doesn't care. And, and, and I did wonder, should I view Spalletti a bit differently? Should I view Spalletti saying like, yeah, I'll go and do the dirty work for the owner, even though I don't really need to because I know that I'm going to enter where I'm going to sign... Uh, an absurd contract and make all this money and 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 work for a real club. Um, it's 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 weird, right? I, real club. I, I never wow. quite. Well, no. <laughs> in his mind, right? In his he left. He left saying that he would always sing the Roma hymn, but within days, as you say, he joined their their biggest rivals of those years. Well, I mean, that was very uh, uh, yeah. That was kind of typical, I would say, particularly the first Spalletti spell where he had to basically put up with the sense he family uh, making ends meet by selling Kivu to Inter, but then selling Mancini to Inter. You know, I mm. mean, Inter at that time were very much Bayern Muniching uh, their way through through um, their best competitor in, in Serie A. But I, I remember Spalletti at that time, he was he was sick of it. He was fed up. I mean, there's that famous press conference where he bangs his head against the desk um, seven times uh, at the uh, the question that has been asked of him. And, you know, he, he kind of... He, he he's really kind of candid and frank in those at that time. He was like, you know, I remember when I got the uh, when I took the job, I agreed to come back. You know, I got text messages from you know sort of journalists and other people saying, oh, don't do it, don't do it. Um, you know, you don't want to go back there." Um, and he was like, "Yeah, they were they were right. You know, it's just not worth the hassle." But I think you look at that entire period now. I think in in some respects that. That it was the breaking point for that era at Roma. Um, yeah, the yes, they, they they get to the Champions League semi final under Di Francesco in the first season uh, that Totti is is retired, 
uh, kind of vindication, I suppose, in some respects, that you know this team. Um, <laughs> I'm, just watching, I'm just watching this. It's literally the start of the press conference. The guy asks a question, and you can just see as though a, a cow has just taken a dump on his living room carpet. <laughs> Spalletti is wincing. He clasps his hands to his face and just starts banging his head. It's very John Cleese. It's very Forty Towers-esque, but it, this is Luciano Spalletti's life, and no wonder he left it behind to join, join Inter. But yeah, well, there you go. The atmosphere in the city at that, that time or at the stadium against Spalletti, against the ownership group at the time, you know, who I think did actually quite a lot of really good things for the club, but that decision to move on from Totti and later then to, to kind of, you know, offer De Rossi a kind of backroom role or something like that rather than extend his contract. That made it really difficult to, I think, for that ownership group to achieve what they wanted. And, you know, they've they've since sold. Um, but, I mean, we should mention with, and we'll get to this again with, with, with Spalletti and where he is now, but like, um, you know, it, he... I think he gets sacked from Zenit. Gab might correct me on this, but he, he gets sacked and then he basically sees out his entire contract with them. You've signed me up for this. You will pay me until the final day, which is what he kind of does and he's doing now with Inter. Right. Well, let's, let's then, in conclusion, in a second or two, return with a quick word on Inter from a close observer of that club, Gab Marcotti, and where he stands at the moment. Gabbianato, di calcio, italiano. Start of the 17-18 season, Luciano Spalletti now joins the club that had twice denied him a Serie A title. Inter, uh, however, he is not to enjoy a championship title there. Instead, uh, they come up fourth in both the two seasons that he's with them before they opt for Antonio Conte. Since when, as you were kind of hinting at, James, he has been sat there turning down all offers intent on making Inter pay every last penny of their contract. Um, Gab, you said before you weren't his biggest fan. What do you make of his time with the Nerazzurri? First of all, we saw none of the football. You know, he'll point out that, well, I was I was top of the table in December. Well, yeah, I know, but doesn't mean you're playing well. doesn't mean you're being Spalletti. You know, you, you were kind of like a guy. Inter spent a lot of money again, spent most of the money badly, as, as Inter did in, in those years, and some might say more recently as well. And, you know, that first season, we're, we're sitting there and, and we're waiting for them to go and do something, waiting for them to go and, and resolve some of these issues. Remember, this was still Eric Toyer's uh, inter at first. Um, I think at some point he would sell out to uh, the, 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 the Sudic group. And, you know, he, he started well enough. Uh, it looked like things were going fine. And then I mostly blame him for year two, but of course... Inter made the made the, the the very inter decision of rewarding him with an enormous contract again, uh, an enormous contract extension, which is the reason why, after being let go and replaced by Conte, which is the reason why he's just no no I'm just going to sit here and watch the money add up. It's the reason why Milan supposedly spoke to him when they sacked Gianpaolo, but quickly understood that well, hopefully they understood first of all that this man is deranged at this stage of his career. But secondly, they understood that, you know, for us to get him, we'd have to go and, and buy him out of his intercontract, which, you know, we're not going to do. So I, I think that was that was my take. I'm not going to blame it that first season. Look, he, he, he restored in enthusiasm to the club. In his narrative, the fact that there's 60,000 people there to watch him in the Coppa Italia and watch him play in Europe is down to him. It's not. The Inter fans never really went away, no matter how rubbish the team was and, and how badly managed it was, you know, post triplete. Um, but really, I don't think he moved forward at all. And with his behavior after that first season, when he started getting everything that he wanted from the transfer window, and, and it's really, for me, it's really the the, the, the summer of 2018-19, right? That was when they made that that, that move for Rajan Angolan. Um, that was when they started messing around. They, they got Keita Balde. These are the guys he wanted, Right, and and this is the problem. You cannot give this guy too much control. Maybe he needs to be under pressure all the time. I don't know. At Inter, we also saw the return of a classic Spalletism, uh, ostracizing the star at Roma. Of course, it was Totti at Zenit. He'd had it with Denisov at Inter. It was Mauro Icardi. Icardi is obviously extremely, extremely difficult, 
and he's got he's got Wanda and all that stuff. But Spalletti didn't make things any easier for him. That whole weird situation with the club when Icardi wasn't playing and he's saying he's unfit and the club and the medical certificates. You know, some people could read into it as saying, oh, Inter were asking him to do with, with, with Icardi what Roma asked them to do with Totti. I'm not buying that. I think he made it personal with Icardi at the time. Um, and if you speak to people from Inter at the time, they're kind of like, oh, no, manager's decision, manager's decision. So this was, I genuinely don't know. They took the they took the armband off Icardi, and Icardi then said, "Well, fine, I'm I'm not playing anymore." With well, that be fair he said, "No." He said, "Oh no, okay, fine. You take the th- armband away. But, my knee starts hurting." Yeah. But know, why did they play. take it away? Why because of the issue with the ultras? No, that was prior. That was I mean, before. this is this is even pre. That was when Icardi releases his book at the age right. of what 22, 23, right. saying he'd offered out the ultras after a Sassuolo game. No, no, no. This 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 was after Wonder. Uh, his ah, wife that's repeatedly right. went on television on Tiki Taka on Sunday night and would basically just say, oh, you know what? Marrow's never getting the service that he needs to score. Ivan Perisic doesn't pass to him. This person doesn't do this for him. And it became untenable to the point where it's like, you're making my job, Spalletti, so difficult to run this, run this dressing room where basically yeah, they're coming out and hearing uh, his wife saying things and you're not going to, you are basically not going to, Icardi didn't do anything about it, you know, and, and yeah, fair. Yeah. His, his wife's entitled opinion as she's paid to be a pundit on this show. If she wants to share it, great. But Mario Icardi's captain of Inter. And uh, yeah, ultimately, you know what though? Here, this is what bugs me, James here, right? Um, I think in Italy, I think I can say this, I'm Italian. We do, we're, we do have a history of chauvinism and sexism to some degree. The narrative, because remember, Wanda is also Icardi's agent, right? Look, I wouldn't want Wanda to represent me as an agent. I wouldn't want anything to do with her. I'm not saying she's brilliant or it's a great way to, to help your client, right? But when we have Jonathan Barnett moaning about the way Carlo Ancelotti is using Gareth Bale, you know, we, we may say he's right, he's wrong, but we don't go to Gareth Bale and say, hey, go and control your guy, right? Here, because they were also married, and because we are a sexist society, traditionally in Italy, although hopefully that's changing, it becomes, oh, Mauro, control your woman, right? That's what the narrative became, and that's what made it, I think, so distasteful, right? So I think she was a fool for behaving the way she did, and she certainly didn't help him. He was a fool for many different reasons, but... Once you created this inflamed climate, Spalletti did absolutely zero to tone it down. Spalletti okay. did nothing to say, let me mediate. Let me still recognize the fact that this guy is a club asset, that this right. guy can actually play football. Let me figure this out. If Icardi's agent had been Brian and had had a regular gig on TV and Icardi, <laughs> as the captain, had had his manager, agent, whatever, Brian's criticizing his teammates for not saying, I still think people would have said, control Brian Icardi. <laughs> You are the captain, <laughs> so I take your point about the. Captain. Wasn't the captain? Remember, they took the they, they took his armband away, and that injured. Yeah, but but that ultimately is what caused his knee injury. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the let knee. me ask. Let me ask. Uh, sorry, James, you wanted to say something. It, it might be the answer to this question: Would you hire him if you had a football club, Luciano Spalletti? And to borrow from Zamparini's analysis, had Luciano just smiled a little bit more along the way, would things have worked out better? <laughs> I would uh, appoint Luciano Spalletti. I would okay. uh, look at the certain personalities within my squad and see whether he was he's compatible with them. Um, but yeah, I think look, uh, Inter, he gets the club back into the Champions League for the first time since you know Ranieri was there briefly. And they got knocked Cam's out. Gab is <laughs> pulling a Spalletti yeah, press which, conference, which, face. Which, which is a big Don't deal. Don't bang your head. Cam. It ultimately allows. Conte to go and spend as Conte did because he gets him into the Champions League in back-to-back years, albeit on the final day. When mm. given the budget that you know they already had, they perhaps should have made it a little bit easier uh, on themselves. And yeah, I think the only thing with with me and, and, and Spalletti in, in that two years he had at Inter, which I was disappointed by, was that that sense of invention where he reimagines how a player, uh, you know, we've all kind of already made our uh, minds upon. He didn't do that, apart from with the epic Brozovic, um, who, you know, Broz was the only guy who seemed to improve under him, plays in front of the defence. No one could find a position for Broz uh, up until that point. Um, and then, what does Suning do? They bring in Beppe Marotta um, after he gets ousted by Juventus. 
Um, and we all know Marotta likes Conte. And yeah, the, the die was cast when they, they appointed him and Conte's basically seeing out what he, he saw out at Chelsea, that they were going to bring him in. And um, so I have some sympathy. I, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I, but, I, I, you know, in his defence, I do think uh, he did a par job at Inter. Um, you know, he is, uh, he's my captain, my captain from my time at, uh, at Roma. And, um, you know, I live by that mantra that he, he, he put out. Uomini forti, destini forti. Uomini deboli, destini deboli. Non c'è altra strada. One of the classic Spalettiisms, which you've got to live by. That's, you know. Yeah, I, I, I humbly dissent. Look, I, <laughs> we, we, we've seen this before, right? There are some people, look, in his own way, Spalletti is a genius. He had his moment of genius 15 years ago. Um, and that was that. Inter bent over backwards for him with all the problems and dysfunctions. And look, many great managers are screwed up at Inter because it's historically a basket case uh, of a club. And maybe it's destiny that the only one who can actually do well there, you know, is is one Jose Mourinho. And of course, as we know, he nearly threw away the the the, the treble right against uh, against Roma against Claudio Ranieri. But his behavior at Inter in those two years after Marotta came in. The, the, the hanging on to the contract, you know, which, you, oh, of course, the club didn't force me to get a new contract, but that was just so stupid. Um, th- th- and James is right. You know, as a manager, you're there to improve the players. We saw nothing of the genius of Spalletti the second time around. We saw a guy who was conservative and safety first, a guy who went back to the well. I hate it when managers bring in guys they've worked with before. I think it's a sign of weakness. I hate it when they don't actually look at what the figures say that, you know, this is an inter that was under a financial fair play regimen. Again, it's not down to him. He has people above him who are responsible for, for keeping track of money. And they're obviously irresponsible fools, too. OK, fine. But, you know, the Raja Nangolan, Raja at this stage of his career, um, the, the the moves that he made, the the, the whinging, the, the, the football that he played. I'm sorry, you couldn't justify, I think, any of that. And maybe you have to be a little bit of an egomaniac. And I'll leave you with one thing. Um, and James will know this. Maybe James has even been to the room in Spalletti's house, right? <laughs> Every time he does, he, he, he does a TV thing now that he's, that he's unemployed. And obviously during the lockdown, the pandemic, it felt like he was on Sky Italia every other day talking about his memories, his career. And by the way, when he talks, you think I talk for a long time in complete sentences? He goes on for like 10 minutes uninterrupted, uh, like he's giving a speech. He does it from this room where he's got his collection of jerseys. Now, I think this is weird. Normally, if you have a collection of football jerseys, you hang them up. You might frame them. You hang them up so you see the back of the jersey and the number. No, he's in this room where basically it's all closets. All the jerseys are neatly folded, probably by him. And they're folded in such a way that the only thing you can see of the jersey is the player's name. You can't see the jersey, right? When it says Beckham, it, it, it could be a jersey. It could be some other Beckham. It could be a jersey that, that, that David Beckham got, um, I'm, I don't know, playing for his paint factory or whatever, right? It could be his paintball jersey for all I know. And you have all the jerseys behind them. And this is the backdrop that he chooses every time as if to say, look, I have all these jerseys. And I think to myself, wait a minute. We've seen players swap jerseys. I mean, what did you do? Did you go up to Romelu Lukaku and beg to swap jerseys after a game? Did you go and buy his jersey on the internet with his name on it? No, seriously. Because most of them aren't players he's ever managed. What does My he do? Thing, How does he get all those is, jerseys? He's got kids. He asks them for them, but then he showcases them in his own kind of shrine. If you, uh, if you follow him on Instagram, because uh, he's on his farm in Tuscany at the moment, uh, in Cetaldo, um playing with his um tractor his, uh, well he's on his tractor but he's also got some uh chickens and some ducks and some geese one of which he calls biancaneva he's got snow white um uh that's one of uh, one of his geese i think his, but he his he main goose though, he's completely isolated from the rest of the group <laughs> he won't allow well, them to this is where gab's gab's analogy works but i mean he he took out some of those shirts and he made like a weird art installation on one of the big trees on his estate and basically hung the shirts oh, yeah. up on that tree. You remember this? this is yeah, yeah. Remarkable. He was using it as a backdrop again for interviews. I remember this in the summer. Yeah. With this kind of yeah. weird shirt yeah, tree thing. normal behavior. Well, he's got a lot of time on his hands. I love it. I love hands. it. <laughs> hmm. 
Who knows uh, if we'll see him back in the less creative world of football management soon. But that has been the Spalletti career so far. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, do go and look up the Headbutt press conference and uh, indeed many more of the delights that we've touched on in the course of this Galazzo. Many, many thanks to Gabrielli and James. We'll be back with another show soon. I hope you'll be joining us as well, listener. For now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Check out all of The Athletic's podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. Muddy Knees Media.